I wanted to talk about praying as God's friend, and I I have uh, prayer has been a big part of my life, and uh, you know part of the reason I part of the reason I became an atheist when I oh talk quietly part of the reason I became an atheist when I was a kid was God never seemed to answer my prayers, and I had this idea that you're supposed to pray and God's supposed to answer. It seemed like a nice division of labor, but for some reason it never quite seemed to work the way it was uh, uh, supposed to work. And so after a while I kind of thought, well, maybe the reason it doesn't work is that there is no God, and I became an atheist. And a lot of the this talk uh, has, has kind of grown out of a, uh, what happened after I became a Christian. And um, there's one one idea that constantly goes through my mind or goes through my mind a lot, which is simply um, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. And I, if there's anything, <laughs> there's anything I hope you'll get out of this talk, uh, that would be it. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. So uh, I, I think I like to talk about the, I like to talk about the worst prayer in the Bible, which is the prayer of Ahaz. And that prayer was literally the only prayer God can't answer that I can think of. And that prayer is, I won't ask. <laughs> You're not going to fool me, God. I know I will not put the Lord to the test. So um, the only prayer he can't answer is that prayer. Uh, so don't be like Ahaz. Don't make the worst prayer in the Bible. So let's take a look at um, the way I, I'm thinking about this. There are three passages that pose a problem. Well, there are more passages than this, but there are three that... I, I've been doing a lot of work in the book of John the past few years, and, and uh, these three passages kind of came up, and uh, I uh, was thinking about them, and... Wow, can anybody... Can people see this? I, I really don't know what's happening out there. It's okay? Yeah, because it doesn't look good here, but, uh, okay, great. So these three passages, and they say stuff that you, you look at this and you say, what? Are you kidding me? Is this really true? Uh, they say things like, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Notice he says it twice, you know. He really means it, right? Uh, and then he says, if you dwell in me and my words dwell in you, you shall ask whatever you desire, and it will come to pass for you. Wow, you know. And then the third one, in that day, you'll ask me for nothing. <laughs> That's interesting. You'll ask me for nothing. Indeed, I tell you, whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Till now, till now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. And now the, the question that arises from reading these passages is, um, do these verses match your expectation and your experience and your expectation? Okay. Uh, and, you know, for me, for a long time, they really didn't. Uh, I would, again, even as a Christian, um, I didn't have that sense that God was going to just answer my prayers that God was just there for me. Uh, for a long time, I had a feeling that God really 
wasn't that interested in answering my prayers. But, you know, if I could sweet talk him enough or, or say the right words or, you know, if I had the right heart attitude or something, he would, I could maybe get him to answer it once in a, answer them once in a while. Uh, the reality of it was that, uh, as I'll tell you near the end, at the end of my talk, God was answering my prayers like crazy. Uh, but I didn't have the strong sense that he was going to do it. Okay, so um, that may seem paradoxical, but what the heck is my life is a paradox anyway. So now I'm going to take a side journey here. Discipleship. And, and this is important because, if, you know, if we think about these three verses, this is what Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us these things. And so... You know, we're supposed. You know, the uh, the the Great Commission says, "Go into the world <laughs> and make disciples of all nations, teaching them uh, to obey everything that I have taught you." And so, here, these are three things that Jesus is teaching. So, um, so it, so it's a matter of discipleship. So, what's the definition of a disciple? Um, a disciple is someone who does not follow what Jesus says. Oops, did I make a mistake there? Um, a disciple is someone who does not follow what Jesus says. Sure looks like I meant it, huh? Well, what I mean by that is a disciple is someone who is learning to follow what Jesus says, which implies that we don't always follow what Jesus says. If we always followed what Jesus said, we wouldn't need to learn anymore, would we? We would know, we would do. We would not really need to be a disciple. Uh, but the fact is, we are still learning. We're, we're still uh, coming to a deeper and more thorough understanding of what he's trying to get, get into our minds and hearts. And that's a process. It's a learning process. Um, and so at, the reason I put this one here is so that we will understand that we don't always do it right. If uh, As disciples, we're going to flub up. We're going to make mistakes. If we weren't Flubbing up and making mistakes, we wouldn't need to be disciples. I want to emphasize that. Because here in, you know, we're also performance oriented. Um, I mean, even someone as lazy as me is still pretty performance oriented. And I just beat myself up all over the place when um, I do something wrong. And what this, what being a disciple means is you got to expect it. You got to expect you're not going to understand everything Jesus says to you. You know, and so when you come across something where you maybe don't realize, don't experience the fullness of it, that shouldn't be cause for discouragement. That shouldn't be cause to say, oh, no, I'm a terrible Christian. Instead, it should be cause to think, whoa, here's something new. It's kind of like getting a, 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 taking a class in college and looking at the syllabus, right? These are all the things you're going to learn for after you take this class. Whoa, that looks pretty cool. So if we think of those three passages as the syllabus you know, that Jesus is, is giving us, he's teaching us to experience these things, okay? So that's my, my take on, on what's going on here. We're, we have to learn this stuff. We have to understand and learn it and practice it and experience it, and it will be a growing, a growing process. Okay, so if you're a disciple, you're a learner. I already said all this stuff. Discipleship is cumulative, it grows over time. You know, you build on. So, so we kind of think, we kind of tend to think, oh, once I get it, I get it all. 
but no relationship works like that, right? Every, every relationship builds and grows and is cumulative, especially our relationship with God. Uh, and I think we all kind of would say that and would know that, but, but maybe we don't realize it in the moment when we are saying, I flubbed up again, you know? So, uh, but that's what we want to understand is that as we are, as disciples, we are learning and making mistakes and that's essential and not even just making mistakes, just not getting it. That's essential to being a disciple. So, well, obviously if we get it all right, that would be great, but you know, here we are. Uh, so, so there's a really important idea that a discipleship, a dis uh, discipleship is a relationship between a master and a disciple, a teacher and a learner. Okay, uh, and the master has obligations to the disciple. That is, the master will show, will teach the disciple everything he can, and the disciple will obey the master, will follow the master, will try to learn everything the master tries to teach him. And and that relationship is not. It, you know, it's in, in our society we tend not to think about it about it that way. We tend to think of it in more uh, um, abstract terms. The teacher just teaches, and we just listen and write it all down, and then take a test. But a true ma uh, master-disciple relationship is a true relationship where the, there's a mutual obligation, mutual interaction, and mutual care. So that's what that's the model of our relationship with Jesus. Okay, so let's take an example here of what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at. Uh, in Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, okay? And um, Francis Chan in Crazy Love, and I pick on him not because, just because many of you may have read this book, uh, but he's not the only one who did something like this. Um, he said, this is a commandment, Okay. So rejoice always, this is a commandment. So you better be out there rejoicing or else, you know, the idea of a commandment as something that you will be held accountable to. And so here I am, I, I get depressed a lot, you know, I mean, things just go sour in my emotions. And so I wake up depressed and then I read rejoice always. And I think, uh-oh, I'm violating God's commandment. I wait, I'm depressed, I'm not rejoicing, I'm violating God's commandment. And so I feel worse. So in other words, here is this thing in the Bible that says rejoice always. And after I read it, I feel worse. And it would seem to me as a sort of exegetical postulate, if I can use that phrase, if your method of interpretation makes you feel worse after reading the words, rejoice always, you're probably doing it wrong, <laughs> okay? So um, I would suggest that that's not the way to read, that that's not the way to read stuff like that, including these prayer passages I told you about, okay? So the Word of God, Principles of Understanding, I know this is, seems a bit wide-ranging, but I felt like I had to cover this stuff so you know where, where I'm coming from anyway, because I'm new here. So um, God's word brings freedom, not slavery. So John um, 8.32 says, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, 
if, if my word abides in you, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So God's word is out there trying to set us free from the traps we've fallen into, the vicious, the vicious cycles, vicious circles, whatever, that we get caught in, and so on and so forth. God is, God's word speaks into a dead-end situation and opens it up. Uh, God's word is opportunity, not obligation. And, and you know, I love these, these kind of catchphrases. Um, I always try to come up with catchphrases. I know it sounds kind of stupid, but if you, if you can just remember these things, it's just, you know, and when you think about this, opportunity, not obligation. And, and this is 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and it talks about giving. And it says uh, we, we should give not under compulsion, but as each one has decided in his heart, because God loves a cheerful giver. And so if, we're, if we, as people asking for, you know, to, to give, are saying, uh, you have to give, like a tithe or something like that, we're kind of messing it up for God, because God wants cheerful givers. And we're making people feel guilty if they don't give, you know, so you have to give, you know. Uh, that's, that's not what God is looking for. So we need to see discipleship and, and ministry opportunities and giving and all of these different things as opportunities. This is the way we can get behind the kingdom of God and push, you know. We can be part of it. We can move with it. We can make it happen. You know, we have to have this idea that forget the obligation. We, this is what we want. This is what we're trying to pour ourselves into. Um, okay, invitation, not condemnation. In other words, we're always being invited. We're being invited into deeper relationships with God. We're not being told, oh, you are, you're not understanding stuff, so you're, you're really a bad person. No, Jesus is inviting us to a deeper relation. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in, in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Um, I, I don't know how well I'm quoting that, um, but anyway, the Revelation twenty two seventeen verse says, you know, the spirit and the bride say, come, uh, let he who <clears throat> hears say, come, let he who is thirsty come, and whoever will, let him drink of the water without price. So it's an invitation. And if you, you're hearing a gospel message that is not invitation and, and offering, you know, something new and bringing you into a wonderful place, there's something wrong with the gospel message that you're hearing because it's all about invitation, not condemnation. Okay. And then finally, promise, not prohibition. There's another one. What do I mean by that? Well, um, uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, 19 to 20, uh, um, <clears throat> Paul says that the promises of Christ are always, or the promises of God are always yes in Christ. And so God is always trying to say yes to us. He's always trying to say yes, yes, yes. I want you to, I want you to have this. I want you to be joyful. I want you to uh, be blessed and flourish. And I want you to live the kind of life that is, that is, you know, just something that is really deeply satisfying because that's the kind of God I am. And I'm not out there. You know, a lot of people have this idea that God is out there saying trying to find things we're doing that so he can say no to them, or, or trying to find things we have so he can take them away from us. God is trying to fill us. God is trying to give to us. God is trying to empower us and enable us. He's always trying to say yes. Of course, we don't like to take yes for an answer, but, 
you know, eventually we start to get it, right? You know, it, it, we're told things like God has given us all things richly to enjoy, or and, and there are many verses like that. So, okay, so the premises I have are that we should see the word of God not as our enemy, but as expressing the promise and purpose of God in our lives. So a lot of times we read something in the Bible and it seems adversarial to us. It seems like it's condemning us. It's telling us bad things and we and we get sort of we, we fear it i've seen a i mean i speak from experience here especially when i was a newer christian i would read some of the more you know the more powerful verses like uh um you know when it says anyone who does not um uh what's the word there anyone who does not basically renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple i would read that and say uh-oh do I really want that? You know, or I would read something like "Love your enemies," and I'm saying, "Really? How can I do that?" Or "Forgive," you know, "Forgive as you will be forgiven." And I would feel these kind of creepy, you know, chills down my spine, like, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble now." But but to see these as possibilities, these are things we can do. These are things that God is trying to open up for us. Is trying to enable our, them in our lives. Okay. God wants to be intimately close to us and bless us, including answering our prayers. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from Jesus, from God. And Jesus is saying this. And then uh, finally, we have perfect right standing before God. This is really important because, again, we're, we're all, we always sort of, we, we want to overcome the adversarial relationship with God. Uh, the idea that God is out there f trying to find something wrong with us or to criticize us, or he's kind of an anal boss who's standing over us saying, wrong, 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 you know, or you didn't do this well enough, or, you, you know, whatever. God is not like that. It says in Psalm 103, God will not always criticize. God does not always criticize, right? Uh, I think it says chide, but it's the same idea. Uh, so we have perfect right standing before God, the right to draw boldly before the throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now see how we've kind of segued into the issue of prayer. See, I mean, there's really, this is, this talk is really organized. It's not as scattered and crazy as it first seemed, right? It actually has method to its madness. Uh, so, so, here we get to what I think is the core. Prayer as an expression of friendship. And, you know, Jesus called us friends. You know, you are my friends if I do not, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. And, and this, this is a, um, I think this is just amazing. I, I just think we, we, we don't look at this enough, you know, we don't think of Jesus. I mean, you can actually hear people criticize the idea that Jesus is our friend, you know. Now, obviously, you know, you could, you could use that as an excuse not to take him seriously. But to see Jesus as our friend, our closest friend, as the one who, who comes alongside us, you know, and who, and, and you notice also um, that, what he, the characteristic of friendship from Jesus's perspective is transparency. I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jesus hid nothing 
he let us he told us everything he 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 opens the very mysteries of god up to us when we see jesus we see what god is all about and when we see jesus on the cross we see the heart of god towards us and so and so this notion of friendship i mean I think this is the angle we want to take in pursuing our relationship with God, uh, is to take Jesus as a deep, abiding, faithful friend who, who is there for us, you know, no matter what. Um, yeah, so, so prayer is not fundamentally about getting things. Now, everybody knows this, I'm sure. Uh, we, tend to, we tend to think of prayer as a lot of, the, the simple view of prayer is I'll, as God is like a cosmic um, vending machine, we find the coin, which is our prayer, stick it in the vending machine, out comes the answer. And that doesn't, that doesn't work very well. And, you know, we know that's not right. Um, prayer is fundamentally about expressing a relationship, that friendship, being a friend of God, walking with God, right? But God wants to give us things. You know, it, it's when, if you have... If you have a person you really care about and really like and really, you know, you, you want, you like to give the person thing. I have a friend um, and he comes over and um, we are, he's one of the people that I'm actually seeing face to face these days. And uh, we've been meeting together for years and he just brings me stuff. You know, he says, oh, you know, I got this hot sauce that I think you'll like. You know, and he's right. I liked it. I love hot sauce. So he brought me all kinds of hot sauce. And then, uh, you know, he brought, you know, we eat breakfast together. So he suddenly brings different kinds of bacon or something. He just loves to bring stuff, you know. And and so that's friendship. We all like to give our friends things. Um, we all we all like to think about our friends and say, say what would make our my friend happy? What Or, or we see something in the store and we say, oh, so-and-so would really like this maybe you know anyway god is like that in that day you will ask in my name and i do not say that i will ask uh to you that i'll ask the father on your behalf but the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that i came from god so god is really on our side he's really for us and he's and you know we'll see as uh, that he is all for giving to us Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. This is, again, prayer in the context of a relationship, that one where it says, ask in my name. Now, that, that can seem like a bit of a cop-out, where, okay, I just have to make sure I ask in his name, I, but I don't really know what that means. I have to pray in his will, and I don't really know what that means. I have to kind of figure out what what is his will? And, and maybe I just keep trying. I try this, try that. Maybe I hit it once, but most of the time I, I have no idea. But the simple point he's just trying to make is you're his representative. You, Jesus is saying you are his representative. You're doing something in his name. You're doing it as his representative. And so how do we do that? How do we pray in his name? Well, we simply think, what, what does Jesus want? What, does, what is Jesus about in this situation? And we, we as, as his body and as his believers, are his point people in that, in that situation. We're the ones who are, who are entrusted with manifesting him in that situation. We are, the, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. 
we show Jesus in, a, in any given situation. And all he's saying is do that, you know, be my representative, be there, be there for me. Um, and that's what it means to pray in his name, okay? And he's, he makes this incredible promise, anytime you pray in my name, I'll do it. You know, I, I'm for that, I'm all for that, just do it. And you'll see amazing things. Um, so I could give examples. I mean, I, 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 one of the most amazing examples of uh, ministry of empowered by prayer is a guy named um, George Mueller. Uh, actually, there was a video about him on, I think it was Netflix a while back. But anyway, George Mueller prayed his way through millions of dollars, or what it would be, English pounds at the time. Um, and he, he built orphanages. And he, because it was like, he, had, he came to England from Germany to evangelize, but he saw all these orphans on the street and his heart just went out to them. But he never once asked people for money which was kind of amazing if you think about it. But he prayed and prayed and, and the money just came in. Now, obviously people knew what was going on. They knew he was taking care of orphanages. And so they thought, oh, I'd like to be part of this. And so they would, they would give him money. And money would just come in at random. But he never asked. One time a guy asked him on the street, um, he ran into a rich guy on the street and the rich guy says, hey, I just have an extra amount of money I wanna to give to the Lord's work. What do you need? And he says, uh, the Lord's taking care of us. He said, no, no, come on, tell me. I want, I want to use this money for the Lord's work. And he says, eh, the Lord's taking care of us. Uh, that was his attitude. So anyway, um, we have the authority to decide and act and the commitment to try to do what Jesus wants. It's kind of like a discipleship issue. In a given situation, we want to do what Jesus wants. We want, we want to ask in, in ways that are kind of compatible with what he's up to. And so that means just kind of finding out what he's up to and trying to live it out, okay? Um, if you dwell in me and my words dwell in you, notice some mutual indwelling here. Shall ask whatever you desire. What, notice that, whatever you desire, which is pretty amazing. You ask whatever you desire and it will come to pass for you. So again, we have this mutuality. This is really, obviously, a relationship is always about mutuality. Um, and so now the relationship is transformative. We can't, we can't be around somebody all the time and not be changed. We start talking like, you know, that's one of the things I, I always find myself doing is talking like other people, you know, and saying the words, maybe pronouncing words the way they do, you know, things like that. And I won't give examples because it might be embarrassing to some people here, but uh, anyway, um, uh, we, we get transformed, not, you know, in, in actually pretty radical ways, depending on how deep the relationship is. And so if we dwell in Jesus, if we abide in him and his words abide in us, transformation will happen. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, well, okay, be transformed and then I'll do what you want. No, that's not what he said at all. He basically bets on the mutuality and the relationship that it will work in good ways. So our desires are influenced and shaped, but not determined by the relationship, you see. Delight, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
See, so in other words, the first part, delight yourself in the Lord. Notice delight is the word used here. And, you know, this is really important, again, because it's not, you know, fear the Lord or, or be in terror of the Lord or, you know, be careful how you breathe when the Lord's around or, or let your words be few because he's in heaven and you're on earth or anything like that. It's have joy and delight in your relationship with him. And when you're doing that, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And obviously there is going to be mutuality there. Your heart will be shaped by him. But the point is it's shaped through the delight we have in the relationship. Uh, yeah, not he won't. It's not that he will shape your desires in accordance with his will, which some people read that as. I, I, I'm, I just feel a relationship is more dynamic and more beautiful than, you know, God is going to mash us into a mold. God's going to free us and make us flourish. And, you know, we'll, we'll just... Will just be abundant in him. And then uh, prayer in the context of relationship, giving and joy. So God really wants to give to us. And why? Because he wants us to have fullness of joy. In that day, you will ask me for nothing. Indeed, I tell you, whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Till now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. So the thing is, we, we often, I don't know, I don't know how, what, I guess it's Satan gets us into a mindset of deadliness and depression and sadness. And yeah, I have to be, or I have to pray to God and what's he, what is he gonna think of me or whatever. But God is all about joy. God is all about, you know, the second, you know, the first fruit of the spirit is love. God is love. The second fruit of the spirit is joy, uh, love, joy. Yeah, joy. Uh, think about that. Think about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, those first three. This is, this is an incredible life to be full of love, joy, and peace. And this is what God is growing in us, you see. And he is enabling it by his own actions of, of answering our prayers. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. He wants to give to us freely. Um, so Matt, this is similar to what it says in Matthew 7, uh, 7 to 11. And I call it pushing the envelope with God. What I mean is, yeah, sure, we may ask for things that God is not all that happy to give us because, you know, we're learning, right? But do it anyway. Find out what happens, you know? Yeah, you might just, you might just feel, okay, I, I haven't, that didn't go anywhere, but, but I, you'll be surprised. You will be surprised how many prayers you will, that answers will come. Unexpected things will happen. Um, yeah, let's see here. So I want to share a few personal experiences to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, I think I'm okay with the time. I'm okay with the time, right, Fred? I, I can't see a clock unless I pick up my phone and, you know, punch the button. So that's, and I forgot when I started. Yeah, we have a couple minutes, sure. Okay. So I have a few personal experiences. So I told you that when I, that, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I prayed a lot, nothing happened. And then I finally gave up, decided God didn't exist. So after I became a, Chris, a Christian, my, I was in high school, I was taking an AP statistics class and, um, my very first prayer <laughs> that I can remember getting an answer to 
I had a problem set, and it was one of those three problems that take you four hours, right? So I did the first two, no problem. Uh, but the third one was kicking, uh, was uh, was stumping me, shall I say it? Um, and I, I just worked on it. Worked, I worked on it for literally hours. I couldn't figure out how to do it. I tried everything, and I wanted to go to bed. I was getting really tired. It was getting late, and I had this niggling little thought in the back of my mind: ask God for help, pray about it. And I said, no, no, I want to do this myself. You know. Finally, I just said, okay, I give up. And I closed my eyes and said, God, please help me with this problem. And I opened my eyes and saw how to do the problem. It was that instantaneous, you know. Now, I don't know, you could explain that psychologically or whatever, but to me, I, I was just totally blown away. And that was a very encouraging first attempt at prayer, if you, if you think about it, right? So... Um, one of my big problems when I was younger was transportation. Uh, and my family uh, didn't really, well, we had a car, but I didn't get to use it. So I used to use the bus a lot. And I, I, my family moved down to Redwood City, but all my friends were in San Francisco. So I, I would go up to San Francisco on the Greyhound and visit my friends. And one time I <clears throat> was at a friend's house and I realized that if I didn't take, if I didn't get to the bus station like in 20 minutes, the Greyhound was going to leave and I was going to be there till midnight and I didn't want that. So I got on the, on the bus and I prayed, God, get me to the Greyhound station in time. And so uh, the thing was, I couldn't see how that would happen because I knew it took longer than 20 minutes. But I guess because it was late at night and all the lights were green or something, I was I got off the bus at the Greyhound station at exactly 10.30, which was when the uh, Greyhound bus was supposed to leave. I, I went running into into the, the, the station, and I saw the bus was there, but the door was closed, and I thought, oh, they haven't loaded yet. So I went out to check the schedule again, and I said, no, it's 10.30. I went rushing out there, and the bus was gone. And I thought, oh, I, you know, I had it, but it, you know. And so then I was going to sit down and I saw a door open and the bus was still out there. So I went running out and waved my arms. <clears throat> and this is where I, I just love how God does this. I was talking with a friend and we were talking about how God seems to have a certain delight in answering prayers in a humorous way. Uh, so I, I rushed, I, I went on the bus and the driver said, quote, you must be living right. I tried to get it into first gear and it just wouldn't go. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that was amazing, right? God had stopped that bus until I got on. I mean, it was amazing to me. Um, okay, so then another infamous story of transportation. Um, I, was, uh, I was getting a teaching credential back in the early 80s and I was living in Redwood City and driving up to San Jose, San Francisco State to, you know, to go to school. And I had this clunker car and my brother had basically given it to me and it burned almost as much oil as gas. And when you go, when I went around the corner, the oil light would come on and it would sometimes, the engine would sometimes knock. And if any of you know about cars, you know that that's not good. Um, anyway, so I, I was driving it one day and I thought, you know, if this car goes on me, I won't be, I won't have any recourse. And so I prayed, I said, Lord, please let this car last the whole school year. So I forgot about it and I just kept driving it back and forth up to San Francisco and whatever, drove it all over the place actually. 
and then finally the school year was over. I was I had done everything. I was going to get my credential and all that. I was driving home, and just the exit before this is the last day of school. The exit before my exit, the car started going knock 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 really loud, and and all of a sudden I remembered I had prayed that the car would last the whole school year, and it had lasted to the day the whole school year. Now, the, the cool thing about that, of course, well, it wasn't cool that the car broke, but things worked out really well anyway. But the cool thing was that God had done that to remind me that I had prayed and he had answered. Because I don't think I would have remembered that I had prayed that it would last the whole school year if it had broken two weeks later or something. Anyway, and then preaching. First time I preached, I had been going through a lot of, I don't know, growth or whatever, and I felt like I really wanted to preach. Uh, so I just prayed about it. I said, Lord, I would really like to preach. And I didn't tell anybody. So, but strangely enough, uh, about two weeks later, the pastor of my church comes to me and says, Fred, would you like to preach? You know, my jaw just kind of dropped, you know, because I had prayed about it, but I hadn't told him or I hadn't told anybody else. And of course, that was my first uh, first opportunity to preach, and then full time ministry. So this is this is another humorous thing. This is where I was um, praying to God about whether I should go into full time ministry, and so I did one of those fleeces. You know, some of you may know this whole idea of telling God, "Okay, God, if you want me to go into full time ministry, let something happen." You know, a certain thing happen. So I said, "Lord, if you want me to go into full time ministry." I um, let somebody ask me to speak by Sunday. And so I went through, you know, the whole week and um, Sunday came and went and I said, ah, nothing happened. I guess God doesn't want to go with me to go into full-time ministry. Well, the next day the pastor called me up and said, oh, you know, I meant to ask you this yesterday, but I forgot. Would you please speak on a certain date? And I said, okay, now how do I, what do I do with that, you know? And uh, it's kind of like the way I interpreted it was, yeah, God was saying, sure, Fred, if you want, do it. But you don't have to. This is totally voluntary. This is an opportunity, not an obligation. This is something that I'm opening up for you, but you don't have to walk in it if you don't feel it's right. Well, of course I did, and it was, it was great. Uh, which is, you know, kind of why I'm here now. Anyway, these are my experiences of prayer. And I really believe we should have a collection of these, these things, not just to tell good stories, but I think I've found that these stories encourage people. Uh, they hear these stories and they think, this is really cool, this is really great. And I know you guys have had stories like this, things like this happen. The main thing is to understand that God wants to fill us with joy. He wants us to answer our prayers. He wants to, us to walk with him and have this relationship with him of friendship and love and joy. So um, what are your stories? Okay, let's pray. Oops. Father, I just thank you for um, the fact that you um, love us more than we love ourselves. Uh, that you want to fill us with, uh, with all good things, with joy, with love. You want to walk alongside us. You want to 
make us empower us so that we can uh, we can be abundant in the way we live. We can follow opportunities that you open for us, that we can give to others, um, that we can see the joy that comes out of knowing you and having this ongoing interactive relationship with you. Uh, help us to pursue that relationship and to push the envelope with you and to, to take it seriously when you say that you want to answer our prayers. Uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.